Well, good morning. It's a wonderful day that we've been blessed with. It's good to see so many here this morning. Glad that we are all here and set this side of time, this, this time aside that we may worship our God. We have been given this day, and it is truly a blessing. We truly are blessed by our God. And those blessings culminate in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we are so glad for each and every one of you being here. For our visitors, you are our welcome guests, and we appreciate you being here to worship with us this morning. We strive to do the things that we find in the New Testament as the pattern for the church is given, and that's what we strive to do. We pray that you will be encouraged by our efforts this morning. As Christians, we are in a battle. We are in a battle that pits our spirit against our flesh. In Romans 7, verse 21, Paul says, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. Paul recognizes this battle. He recognizes that there's something going on within his body. He says earlier, back up in verse 15, he says, I am doing the very thing I hate. He wants to do good. He says the one that wants to do good, he wants to do good. But he understands that evil is in him. And there's a battle going on. And that battle is within us as well, as Christians today. So where are these battle lines drawn? Well, as we mentioned, they were drawn between the flesh. From Galatians 5, beginning in verse 19, it says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The battle lines are drawn between the flesh and the spirit. Verses 22, beginning of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Keep that in mind here as we go forward. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So the other question we can ask ourselves is in which camp do we stand? Where do we stand in this battle between the flesh and the spirit? Romans 8 verse 9 says, However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Galatians 5 verse 16 and 17, But I say to you, walk by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Does that sound familiar? Remember Paul says, I, I want to do good things. 
but it's in me to do the evil things also. But here, if we are in the Spirit, it says that you may not do the things that you please. And the Spirit and the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another. There's a battle going on. So if we are to walk by the Spirit, as Paul commends these Galatians to do, then the question is, are we to continue sinning? Open your Bibles, if you would, with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 1 in Romans chapter 6, Paul asks a couple of rhetorical questions. He says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Think about the question that's being asked here. Well, God's grace covers sin, so let's just keep on sinning, and that'll, that'll increase God's grace. See? That might make sense to us as human beings. But how does Paul answer his own rhetorical questions? May it never be. The old King James says, God forbid. If you're reading from the new King James, it probably says, certainly not. Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Certainly not. God forbid. May it never be. So, why is it that we are to no longer go on sinning? If Paul says, may it never be, then why? Why are we to go, no longer go on sinning? The first answer to that is because we are dead to sin. If you look there in verse 2 in Romans 6, it says, May it never be. How else shall we who died to sin still live in it? How shall we who have died to sin still live in it? We are to die to sin. So if we ask the question, why, why are we to no longer go on sinning? It's because we're dead to sin. Verses 3 and 4, we've been buried with him in baptism. Read there with me, verses 3 and 4. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. If we're dead and buried to sin... We ought not to be living in it. We ought not to be going on sinning. We walk in that newness of life. It, it mentioned there, Paul mentions at the end of verse 4, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. If we have died to sin the, the way, in likeness the way Jesus Christ died, we've been raised to walk as a new creature the way Jesus Christ was resurrected, in that likeness. So we walk in newness of life. Our bodies have been crucified. Verse 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. Remember we read that back over in Galatians, similar language. Crucified. 
that our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Our bodies have been crucified. Verse 8, now we live in Christ. Verse 8 says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So think about what we have read here. Dead to sin. We've been crucified. Buried. And raised. That's the way Jesus was. He was crucified. He was buried. And he was raised. So in that same way, we die to sin. And we are buried to sin. And we are raised to walk in newness of life. Romans 8 talks about us being heirs with Christ, our brother. God's grace has given us this wonderful salvation that we have. Because now we live with Christ and walk in newness of life. Why else are we not to go on sinning? Well, because we are alive to God. We are dead, buried, and resurrected. Who do we live for? We are alive to God. Look at verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin is not to reign in our mortal bodies any longer. Verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Reign. We think about that. We think about a king. A king ruling over his kingdom. A sovereign king. Ruling. We're not to let sin rule over us. Sin is not to be king over us. Sin is not to be sovereign over us. But instead, our bodies are to be instruments of righteousness. Look at verse 13. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. We think about instruments, think about a musician, what a musician uses. A musician uses an instrument to express music. A doctor uses instruments to um, operate, perform procedures on us. They are vehicles, they are means by which they perform their will, if you will. God uses us, he wants to use us as instruments of righteousness. When we die to sin, when we die to unrighteousness. He wants to use us as instruments of righteousness to forward his will. Look at verse 14. We have been freed by God's grace. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We've been freed by God's grace. God has given us the way of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And he wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9, he says, does not want anyone to perish, but wants all to come to repentance. It's God's plan for everyone to be saved. Not everyone will, sadly. But that's God's will. He wants us to be saved. And through his grace, he has provided the way that we can be free from sin. Why are we to no longer go on sinning? Because we are slaves of righteousness. 
in verse 16, expresses the idea that we are slaves either way. We're either slaves to sin or we're slaves to obedience. Read there verse 16 with me. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? We're slaves either way. We're either slaves of this world, we're slaves to sin, slaves to worldliness, or we're slaves to God, and slaves to righteousness. We became slaves of righteousness, thanks be to God, verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. This is what God wants. Again, instruments of righteousness. Slaves of righteousness. He wants us to be in that position, that, that, that relationship with him as master and slave. So that we answer only to him. Slaves are beholding to their masters and no other. They give all to their masters. And that's what God wants of us. As slaves of righteousness. The slave of righteousness, the way we once served sin. Look in verse um, verse 19. It says, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Paul said, I'm speaking in human terms here. Let me make this clear to you. You were slaves to lawlessness at one time. You knew what that was all about, serving the world, serving your own passions, your own lusts. And what did that increase? Just further lawlessness. What was the result? Further lawlessness. But now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. Resulting in sanctification. Resulting in being set apart. He is to be the master over us. He is the one to rule. He is the one to be sovereign. He is the one to be king. We are freed from sin and enslaved to God. Verse 22. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification. The outcome is eternal life. Sanctification, we've been set apart. We've been set apart by the law of Christ, by our obedience to it. And what's the result? Eternal life. We have eternal life in Christ Jesus. If we have been freed from sin, if we are slaves to righteousness, Why are we to no longer go on sinning? Because the wages of sin is death. How much simpler can it be stated? The wages of sin is death. What we have earned through sin is death. Look at the first part of verse 23. The wages of sin is death. That's what we've earned. That's what we get for the work that we do. When you earn your paycheck... 
you work and your boss gives you money because that's what you've earned. When we sin, we earn death. That's what we've earned. We are deserving of, of death. We are deserving of death because of sin. That's what we deserve. But look at the second part of verse 23. What God has given us through grace is eternal life. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What God has given us means we didn't deserve it. It's a gift. And he's given us grace. He's given us eternal life through his grace. We earn death through sin. God has given us eternal life through his grace. What a blessing that is. Turn with me now to Galatians 5. Let's read there verses 24 through 26. It says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Does that sound familiar? Crucified, put to death, put to death that old body, put to death the flesh. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. Look back up at the list there, beginning in verse 19, of the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, sensuality. Of the 15 deeds that are mentioned here, the New American Standard, has it, as it lists them, eight of them, eight of them, over half of them have to do with challenging one another or envying one another. Brethren, we ought not to be challenging or envying one another. We don't need to be involved in, in, in gossip or slander or whisper campaigns. Those things cause strife and jealousy among the group. And they're mentioned here. Just as we don't need to be involved with immorality or idolatry or drunkenness or carousing. We get that, don't we? Paul lists these other things in here as well. Enmities, strife, jealousies, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. The things, these things have no place in the kingdom of God. Because what does it say at the end of verse 21? Those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. These things have no place in the kingdom of God. Verse 25 says, live by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. The Spirit is set against the flesh. The Spirit is set against the flesh. Our flesh was crucified with Christ. We put to death that old man of sin. And we are raised up to walk in newness of life, a life lived to God in Jesus Christ. 
let's not use our flesh to engage in sin anymore. We've put that, that flesh to death. We've put that old man of sin to death. Let's not use our flesh to sin anymore. But here's the reality. We still inha inhabit these fleshly bodies. Just like Paul did. We see Paul writing, talking about the conflict that was in himself. We have that same conflict. The flesh and the spirit are at odds with each other. So ours is an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle. And it will be as long as we draw breath. Paul described that in Romans 7. In his own nature, in his life, he saw this war of the spirit and the flesh. So it's for us as well. If you have not been baptized, you're not walking in newness of life. You haven't put to death that old man of sin. What are you waiting for? There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. He is the only way which we get to the Father. And we see now in, in, in studies and passages and, and, and lessons like these, do we see how important baptism is? There are those in the world who want to dismiss baptism and say it's an outward sign of an inward grace. I challenge you to find that wording in the scriptures. Instead, you'll find passages like 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. Baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Peter says there on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Mark 16 and verse 16 says, He who is baptized shall be saved. But he who is not baptized shall be condemned. We see how important baptism is. It's the way that we come in contact with the death of our Lord. It's the way we put to death that old man of sin. And we're raised up out of this water to walk in newness of life, the way Jesus Christ, in likeness to the way he was raised from the dead and walked again, never to experience death again. I implore you to bury that body, to bury that old man of sin in baptism and become a slave to righteousness. If you've been buried in baptism, and you're losing this battle, if you're over on the flesh side of this battle, in the flesh camp instead of in the spirit camp, you need to repent. You need to change what you are doing. You need to ask for forgiveness. 1 John 1 and verse 9 says, if we, confess our, if we confess our sins, he is righteous and just to forgive us. And cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do what you need to do, as long as today is still called today. You need to make things right. You need the prayers of this congregation. You can let that be known by standing, coming forward as we stand and sing.